0: Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. Okay, I'm gonna need, I hope not support from the audience, but this is, boy, what a a group um, of accomplished women. I'm so excited for this conversation. And selfishly, I think it's about me learning about what they're doing and and again selfishly uh, sort of times two being the father of a very strong independent uh, soon to be eight year old daughter and married to a strong uh, and accomplished wife I'm just such a huge fan of of women that are Uh, coalescing together for the betterment of females of all ages across the world so i'm really looking forward to this conversation and i normally don't give bios but i think it's uh we we need to do it now so i may not give the full bios but i do think as an audience uh, you should know who we're chatting with and i'm going to do my best because we've got three guests here to uh hold it all together uh i want to introduce dawn hudson uh senior executive and keynote speaker she is a founding member of the band of sisters After spending 11 years at Pepsi as CMO, then president and CEO of Pepsi Cola North America. After Pepsi, she served as vice chairman of Parthenon, now part of EY. And later, she was the CMO of the NFL, responsible for development of the fan base, the brand and overseeing all NFL produced events, including the Super Bowl. Just some small (laughs) level responsibilities there, Uh, Don. It's great to meet you. Uh, next, we've got in our conversation, Mitzi Short, an executive coach and speaker is a co-founder and CEO of New Season Coaching and Consulting Group and a founding member of the Band of Sisters. After spending 25 years at Pepsi in sales operations and marketing leadership roles, including Pepsi customer team, uh, VP, GM and VP of Multicultural Marketing. Uh, Mitzi also serves as an adjunct executive coach for the Center for Creative Leadership and for the University of Oregon's executive MBA program. Mitzi, nice to meet you. Nice and you. Uh, last but certainly not least is, is Katie Lacey, is former CEO and senior executive, a speaker, board member, and a founding member of the Band of Sisters. After spending 12 years at Pepsi in a variety of marketing roles at both Frito-Lay and Pepsi, including overseeing the full portfolio of carbonated beverages, after leaving Pepsi, she served as SVP marketing for ESPN. I've spent a few hours on ESPN, <laughs> <laughs> where she led all marketing efforts across ESPN's multi-platform business. Uh She most recently served as president and CEO of Crane Stationery, where she drove a turnaround of the iconic 200-year-old business and the successful sale of the company. I, You know, I don't know, but collectively, this might be... I mean, this is like an all star group here. So not that this is about resumes. This is about sort of human beings and and support. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Don. Let's just sort of go go back to the top here. Help, help the audience understand not just ban- the band of sisters, but sort of the why and why now.
1: So this is a couple of years ago. Uh We were getting together. We've kept together as friends. I mean, our careers, we got to know each other at PepsiCo and went off in different directions and liked each other and stayed together. And we were sort of laughing and about the times, you know, working in the dark ages when we just started and said, you know, boy, thank goodness, it's got to be much better for women today. And, and somebody said, you know, I just read an article and, and I, I, I think it's not, I think the numbers are up, but actually the, the environment of inclusion hasn't uh, really changed that much. So anyway, it got us doing what we do, research, talking to a lot of millennials, uh, and, and figuring out that, you know, yes, a lot of progress has been made in corporate America and we want to give back to the women that, you know, come behind us. And we realized that while the diversity numbers were growing, the environment of inclusion wasn't and wanted to sort of get to the bottom of it. And we weren't really talking about, you know, me too situations. We're talking about little moments every day, which just don't make a woman feel that comfortable. Some women, not all women. And so we go, what can we do about it? And and our approach was to be inclusive, was to bring men into the conversation, was to try to educate people around those little things that, that in, in one of them you'd feel Stupid bringing it up is a big deal. But in aggregate, it create a culture where maybe you don't feel great about, you know, being able to be yourself at work, and you don't feel that included. And over time, that leads to employees leaving. And so uh, from a business standpoint, a leadership standpoint, we thought it's something we could really do to help uh, sensitize leaders as well. So anyway, it's a long-winded story. We decided to say, hey, let's do something about this. Let's talk about it. And then COVID happened. And when COVID happened, well, I guess we'll write about it.
0: Yeah. And so then we'll write about it. So, so Mitzi, let's pick it up from there. Talk about the writing sure. element. And, and then I want to, I want to make sure that when we sort of get through the writing piece, Mitzi, I, because of your collective backgrounds in, 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 in some more than others, when it comes to marketing, help me understand too. I want to make sure that the things that we have seen the progress, like, let's be real about this. How much of it has been just sort of a marketing or a PR effort so that we can check boxes? Like where, where does substance start and sort of expectation that we have to check a box ends?
2: So, yeah, let me, let me start by giving the, the background on the writing. And what we were trying to do there is capture these little moments that uh, impact us in the workplace. And there's six of us, so we all are impacted differently. So what you see in the book is our individual take on how the uh, incidence of gender bias impacted us. And we talk about it from the perspective of three audiences. One, if you're the female that's impacted by the gender bias, what, what can you do? What are your options? And that's where you get the different perspectives. But we also talk about it from the perspective of what if you're the manager? or the leader of the women that's impacted, be you male or female, how can you help the situation? And then the third perspective we talk about is if you're a bystander, if you're in the room, when you recognize that a person who's made a comment, a woman, a female who's made a comment, nobody says anything, two minutes later, uh, her male colleague says the exact same thing as, oh, that's the best idea. If you observe that, what can you do? So the bystander or the witness. If you will, so that's what the book is about. That's how we came together to write the book and how we cover those topics in 35 or so chapters. Um, with respect to your question about okay, is this checking the box? What's checking the box? So, for I think it really gets to the culture that Dawn was talking about. A lot of organizations have said, you know, if I just increase the number of people of color or number of women in the organization, that that's it. Well that's not it. You have to create the environment that enables them to thrive, right? And so that sense of being valued as an individual, being able to, you know, show up and feel comfortable in your environment, that your perspective is going to be taken into consideration, right? So that's, having diversity is only part of it, really creating a culture where people thrive, is is really key and that's where the hard work is right?
0: yeah, and, you, and you're touching on there mitzi i'm going to get you done in just a second but what you're touching on there it's sort of like are we checking the box on how our website looks so that we have some diverse representation so if someone's looking at it they'd say oh okay it's sort of like network tv for years like we had to represent each group in some sitcom and you kind of say boy does that feel manufactured uh katie i'm gonna to get to you in just a second but Don, i know that you were sort of jumping through the digital screen here you wanted to comment
1: well <laughs> you know i wanted to build on what mitzi said because Um, you want people to thrive who have diverse backgrounds, who aren't exactly like everybody else in the organization. But there's lots of business school studies that have shown that if you have a business problem or a business opportunity and you bring a people, a set of people with diverse background together, they will solve that problem faster and with more impact. Now, if a culture doesn't allow people to speak up and be heard, or to feel comfortable participating, you may have numbers on your board that say, yes, I am diverse, but you're not leveraging the diverse points of view. So from the top to the bottom, as a business leader, you want to bring the people in, get a lot of different perspectives, but you want to enable that voice to be heard, and you will, for, for better business performance, for better outcomes. So it's not just a nice thing to do for the environment, and yes, you keep your employees, but you actually get more out of your employees.
0: Yeah, you're, you're, you're able to actually check the right boxes, meaning we're growing, we're developing, we're thriving as a group. Katie, so I would be remiss if I didn't bring up, I mean, it, it's so interesting to me. And I, even in my head, I'm trying to go back and forth in sort of a, the frame of this question. But given your experience with ESPN, right? So one might say, wow, you were in the lion's den. You got to see things from a very different perspective. But another train of thought might be, wow, what an incredible opportunity to understand different things perceptions from the consumer side, the way in which content is digested. How do we com- communicate that out? Like, it feels like that could have been a bit of a secret weapon for you to really have a comprehensive 360 de- degree understanding of how we can thrive maybe as women and to support the next generation. Am I far afield? Am I, am I too sort of hallmark about it or it, <laughs> help me get into the right position?
3: Yeah, well, so I, I wanna, I'm gonna get to that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the old, I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna answer a different <laughs> question before I do that. Because sure. I want to build on, um, what Mitzi and Don said about, and your earlier question about checking the box. And I think part of this gets, um, it gets, uh, manifested by a focus on recruitment and bringing in people, right? So companies, and, and this also then drives cost, right? The cost that you're gonna, that you're gonna spend both time and money to recruit people to usually the senior levels because that's where everybody's thin um, when it comes to women and people of color versus spending as much time thinking about retention and promotion because you're bringing in a lot of companies are bringing in a 50-50 class and you start to see it break down through the promotion process and it breaks down really early so that's where I say there's I think there's real effort, but I'm not so sure it's always in the right place and that retaining and promoting the people that you have invested to bring in is where perhaps it's getting a little mailed in in some places. So, you know, and as for ESPN, I mean, it was a, it was a fascinating place to be and it was a fascinating place to go to after being at Pepsi because Pepsi had been such an environment, um, of it of inclusion from and it was represented all the way at the top i mean don was the president when i was there and we had you know indra was the president and then later the ceo we saw women represented even at times if you were out and you were the only woman in a meeting or um uh you know out in a out in a grocery store meeting with um your distributors and your um, customers, you still felt like it was a very inclusive and supportive environment. ESPN was obviously more male. The customers were more male, um, very, very much trying to get there, but hadn't, hadn't, I, I think it was, it was just a little bit more of um it differed by what part of the company you were in. Um, How how diverse it was and how especially by gender. So it was it, it gave me an interesting lens on where companies were in their journey here. And I again, I think and one of the things that we talk about and apologies if I'm running on here is that a lot of this is a lot of people trying to figure out the right thing to do. Um, and our coming att-
0: from a good place.
3: Yep. And our attitude, I'm not going to say everybody is, but for yeah. the most part, I think most companies, most people are trying to figure out how to do it. And sometimes we do it awkwardly. Sometimes we get defensive. Sometimes we retreat because it's scary. But you see a lot of companies trying to do it. And I think um one of the things that we are trying to do here is aid in that by giving some language, by giving some perspective, um, and just by giving a, our diversity of voices to the conversation as well.
0: So I've, there's so many directions I want to go and, and I'll let, you know, you guys can pick sort of what is, what is compelling, um, for each of you in this, but I want to, I want to address the equal pay or the pay gap, um, because Look, we can have the best of intentions and we can put in our DE&I, uh, you know, department. And we can do all sorts of things that on the surface to include our website <laughs> or our public perception, we are checking some of those boxes with the best of intentions. But if we still have pay gaps and we still have this perception that that, that in quotes, uh, position requires for whatever reason a male, <laughs> uh, you know, which says to me, we have a lot of room to grow because now we've seen U.S. soccer, women's soccer, they've had a victory. You know, years ago, we had the cast of friends that said, you're going to pay all of us the same or we're not going into the next season. So we've had these sort of lighthouse moments. But it also feels like we could be doing a heck of a lot more at a faster pace. I mean, not to use COVID as an example, but, you know, the education space went well, and even professional learning. We've got to transition to Zoom. (laughs) We don't have an option. So it might have been 20 years before you would have gotten to that or 15 but we have to do it tomorrow. And so it says to me, like, why can't we have a a better, healthier understanding of the pay gap and the implications of that long-term on the recruitment, to your point, Katie? So Mitzi, I don't know if if any of that bubbles up for you and you want to jump at that, but uh, I'd I'd love your perspective.
2: So I I think we have to talk about that from two angles. And I know Katie shares a story about when she was president of Crane, how she had to look at pay inequity and what she had to do about that. So I'll let her talk about that a little bit too. But I also think one of the things we talk about in our book is if you're the female and you sense that you're not getting, how do you get what you're due? How do you get your true value? How do you approach that, right? How do you how do you do the fact finding to get the information on what you're worth? How do you ask for what you want, uh, financially and total compensation wise? So I think that those two things are important. One on the half of the organization leader, organizational leaders to. To make sure that there's pay equity across your team, across your function, across your organization. And then for, for women in positions to make sure that you're asking for, um, pay equivalent to what you're, you're getting compensation equivalent to what you're, uh, you think you should be getting.
0: Dawn, are we creating safe enough environments to have those conversations? Cause I, I agree with, with what Mitzi's saying.
1: So I. I'm, I'm pausing because I think it's a little bit of a, a conundrum and I want to, I want to give you a, a personal example of it, but um, definitely you want the company and you want the boss to be thinking not gender specific, not race specific, what's the job, what's the capability, what's the contribution you get paid for that. That's, that's obviously the goal. The reality is that part of it is the individual coming forth to with their point of view, what they're worth. And my example that I, I use is when I became president of Pets in North America, about a year later, I ended up with a staff of 11, six of whom were men and five of whom were women. And it, I observed, not not to make everyone the same, but my observation was that the men tended to come into their annual review with a point of view that they're great, when are they going to get promoted? They've done everything well, and they have a lot of contributions to make in the future. They're ready for promotion. They want more pay. And the women tended to come in to the conversation more. You know, I've done things well. I have areas for improvement. What can I work on the improvement? And you know, as a boss, you you love that attitude. But the um, it made me reflect about the fact that a man comes into review tending tending to see his future contributions based on his capability, not necessarily even what he's proven that year, just what he's capable of. And maybe a woman comes into the conversation thinking about having to prove everything. And I think that's a pattern that corporate America has gotten into where the minority or the woman has to prove themselves 110% before they get promoted, where perhaps sometimes a man just has to be what I've heard referred to, we have talked in the book about being a good guy. Or being somebody of potential, where uh so a, a, as a boss you have to make sure you're evaluating people evenly, and then as the person coming in the review, we try to coach women to to not now now women again women start to get aggressive, they start to be called names. People don't like to see that attitude brought forth in a woman that maybe a man brings in and is accepted for. So. You know, trying to be tougher as a woman, yet do it in a way that uh, is heard, accepted and and people work with you. So I think it's it's on both sides it's on the company side and it's on 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 the person coming in. And one of the band of sisters, uh, Lori Marcus, says, you know, I always make a great list of everything I've done and everything I could do. And I make sure I come in armed with the positivity, uh, not not ready to talk about my weaknesses and what I can do better. Because everybody wins on their strengths. They don't win on their weaknesses. I mean, you're yeah, and,
0: and uh, not approaching it from a defensive position either. Right. So you were talking about it's almost a, a aggression to some point and the the slippery slope, depending upon who is, uh, I guess, on the aggressive side of it. Um, Katie, but what, what Don's talking about, it, it says to me, and I would say this, I would think this is a, a challenge of, of the efforts, is that it's one thing to change the current generation, right, or to help to support so that they can thrive but it's an entirely different conversation to see how do we make sure that like my young daughter doesn't get sort of marinated and baked in this attitude that she has to come in almost apologizing for her existence on a team and a corporation in 20 years
3: no it's um this is the thing that was so fascinating to us through this process right and there is there's been a, a a lot of conversation we're having. We're talking to some business schools right now, even where um the, the women who have been in the workplace for just a couple of years already start to feel it. But when you look at you look at your daughter, you look at young girls, you look at, you know, young women, 10, 15 years older than her. They have come through school in charge. Right. You know, they are they are. Usually dominant in their classrooms. They are, they are, they're not not holding back from participating in class. They are active in sports. They are getting all of that experience in school. They're, they're running every organization in school and then they run headlong into a workplace culture, which has not, to your point earlier, evolved fast enough. And it's a 40, let's say it's a culture of 40 years, right? So, and it, so it gives enough time to then almost like perpetuate it and it the by the time the old the old guard has moved out it, they've already indoctrinated the middle guard and the young guard so it we it's not changing fast enough as a result so that's one of the reasons cuz we wanted to have this conversations so we talk to young women and we find that they're coming out of school feeling like the world is a meritocracy right that's how school was and then i hit a workplace that is not exactly a meritocracy because, you know what, I play basketball after work with my boss's boss and he thinks I've got a lot of potential or, you know, you can, the list goes on and a lot of it is unconscious but it just happens and it perpetuates and it shows up in promotions and it shows up in pay and it shows up everywhere else. So it is a day in day out conversation and it needs to move faster and we need to start, it needs to start, from not just the top, but also the bottom and the middle. And that's kind of, that's the magnitude of it, really. It's, it all has to happen at once.
0: Katie, I don't want to be Pollyanna, but I but I would be, uh, if I don't bring this up, so how has the remote work environment impacted some of these efforts of the sort of the early career? Because, you know, one might guess maybe from a place of ignorance that, oh, it's the great, you know, equalizer <laughs> because we don't have the water cooler talk. We don't have the same kind of interactions where the guy walks into the other guys often talk about his golf game and these other things that for whatever reason are valued or there's a value put on them that is very different than what the, the role of the job is. So how has that changed or impacted uh, what we're talking about?
3: I, I think um I don't think we know all the answers yet, but I'm going to give you a couple examples where I think there could be, there's some positives in that, um, you know, everybody, everybody is more on the same playing field, right? You've got some of the negatives of everybody's in each other's personal lives. You're, you know, kind of, um, it's harder to maybe keep some things separate, but the people who want to come back to work, right. Who want to kind of, who talk a lot about, but culture is formed in the workplace and Bringing people in and you know teaching new people that happens in the workplace, we can't do it. I question I don't have evidence on this whether this is we need to perpetuate the way things have always been, and this is how we do it um because I think that there's probably more women who are like, "No, I kind of like it at home here. The temperature is pretty comfortable here i don't I don't have to accommodate the cold workplace yeah. I don't have to. I don't have to make excuses for my home life that my working husband doesn't have to make. So there's lots of little things. So I I'm not sure. I Time think will it, tell. I think it will. will sure. and I, I think the creation this whatever this hybrid world can be is an opportunity to to your point of how to how do we revolutionize teaching by having to go overnight Zoom. This is forcing companies to figure out what culture really is and, and I think the people most invested in the culture are gonna be the ones who are the ones who fight it the hardest.
0: Yeah, fair point. Mitzi?
2: Yeah, I would I I would say time time will tell also I think one of the thing while it labels the playing field somewhat, as I'm out working with organizations, one of the things they're struggling with is this connectivity, the connectedness and the relationship building and the ability to collaborate is is definitely different. Yeah. And so really trying to Companies are trying to really work their way through that. Uh, I want to make a point you talked a little bit about earlier in terms of the younger generation. I think the level of expectation and tolerance of uh, what happens in the workplace and how welcome the culture, how welcoming a culture is, is very different. You know, all the studies talk about millennials now, how important culture is. And females in particular say that's the top 85% of the things that they look for is what is the culture like. So when we were coming along and there was a tendency to try to fit in until you can get this to a position to change things. They're less likely to do that. They're more likely to go somewhere else, yeah, so I think that's that's important, and that's one of the things that employers are struggling with these days
0: point point that's, well made that's,
2: that's one of, that's
1: one of the reasons that you know we wrote this book too to educate men some some people refer to you've got a leadership that wants to have a, a great culture, and you have people coming in with expectations in the younger generations. And what they get influenced by is what some refer to as a mushy middle, a middle of an organization that's patterning behavior that they've learned over the last 20 years. And and so that sometimes prevents the vision at the top from getting through to what the people in the more entry level want. So part of this book is designed to just educate people so that they're more aware. I think we've had a number of men uh, read our book And I said, oh, I had no idea. Or I'm not going to call you a girl again, Dawn. Uh, You know, so, you know, we're trying to not be finger pointing. We're trying to be helpful and
0: and educate. So I want to put a pin in that because I definitely want to revisit the the element of men in this. Uh, And you brought up a point around language that I I also want to chat about. But, Dawn, I want to ask you this. So we live in a very divisive world right now where language is important, um, sort of people's associations. It's like we have to sort of put all cards on the table. Um, how do you, and I'm in your camp, but how do you avoid getting sort of swept up in people's preponderance to focus on this cultural wokeness and all these other things that are going on? So that it's not in essence just a blip in time or this is sort of a, a small window of time where we're going to start to focus on these things that have generational impacts. Um, and it's, you kind of get where I'm going with this, that we're just so focused on these elements and we hear these words. You know, thrown around and for those that are really trying to do things of substance, I get concerned that they could get swept up in things that have nothing to do with what you're trying to accomplish, but they become a part of a political agenda and people have to pick sides. So what are your thoughts on that? Well,
1: a lot of the companies that I'm involved with either as a board member or working with are, are really sensitive to this and that the workplace it is a place to be inclusive to not be divisive and to the extent that it becomes um, a a place of political action or a place of uh, where a lot of the things that are being discussed in social media, et cetera, I mean, people are going to discuss those and they're going to have their own points of view. But if the workplace becomes a place where you dialogue those as opposed to a place where you figure out the best way to work together and to build on what is common and with a common goal to succeed – so they, they struggle with making sure they're inclusive and people can feel open to talk about their points of view. But from a business standpoint, make sure that people keep focused on, on goals and what you're trying to achieve. And again, that everyone feels good contributing to those. And it's difficult. It's a, it's a, a, a fine line. It's hard today.
0: Katie, what are your thoughts on that? How do we, how do we stay out of that sort of political jet stream of, of just toxicity?
3: Yeah. <laughs> Great question, <laughs> right? Everywhere. <laughs> um, one of the things that goes back to uh, what Dawn talked about earlier is, I mean, it it comes back to dollars and cents, right? What is more important to a business in many ways than its, um, certainly its greatest asset, which is its people, but also its bottom line. And if you were, you, there's a lot of money spent on recruitment. If you are not retaining your people, you've got money going out the door. So that's one thing. That's just a hard cost. And then it is proven, it's been proven over and over again that a diverse and inclusive business place um, has higher returns. So this is not about employee satisfaction measures or um those are all great. Those are byproducts. This is how do you want to have a business that does the best that it can because it values its people. It includes all of the people in the culture. And then you're going to have you will see business success. It, it keeps it a little bit more simple that this isn't just a nice to do. This is actually a mandate.
0: Yeah, it doesn't overcomplicate it. So we can't sort of have the excuse of, well, there's just too much to do. Like, let's just simplify this and understand. Yeah. No, it the applicability here. Uh, okay. I want to revisit the, the concept of men in the conversation, but I also want to do that sort of embedding the language piece because you made the one comment, Don, about, or maybe it was Mitzi about, you know, sort of using, uh, the, you know, saying girl to, to an adult woman. And I will tell you, I've seen that in, uh, in education, even when my daughter was even younger, my kids, you know, taking them, to preschool and having the female teachers being called girls, like that always rubbed me the wrong way. Like that didn't make any sense to me. They were professionals. So how do we balance? Cause I think if we're real about it, look, I'll speak broadly about sort of the male gender is that, you know, we are sensitive and that's probably why we're so darn aggressive in ways. And so it's like, how do you nuance it so we can sort of bring men into the conversation, educate them on things without them feeling like they have just been abusing the relationship? even verbally, right, in this exchange, this cultural exchange for their entire lives unintentionally, um, but sort of influenced by the cultural, cultural around, culture around them. So how do we do that and not make that feel punitive because we kind of need, I think, <laughs> men to have an understanding, to integrate it into their vernacular, and to be supportive so that we don't even have to have this conversation. We don't need the band of sisters, not to put you guys out of, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just a part of our culture.
1: And, and you don't you don't want men to feel like they can't say anything for fear of right. messing up. I mean, <laughs> that, that's also bad, too, right? I mean, yeah. I have men saying, I, you know, I'm retired now, but I couldn't go back and work today. I, I wouldn't be able to open my mouth. Uh, you know, so you have to be able to, men have to be able to bring them, them themselves to work too, but, uh, hopefully with a, with a little bit greater, greater appreciation for how, how others feel. And, you know, I, one of the simple things in the book, take girl, for example, just, just in your head, before you say it, think about what, what if I said, boy, you know, if I took, and I, I, wrote, you know, I had my head of sales coming in. I said, boy, you're doing really, you're a good boy this year. You know, like yeah. that's probably going to sound good. Well, okay. If that's what you feel about calling somebody a boy, just don't do it with a girl.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mitzi, how about you? What, well, what's I, your I think
2: just, you know, the sheer numbers say that you can't just have a conversation about the diverse workplace without having men in it, right? They're in the power positions. Less than 5% of CEOs are female, less than, I think, the ratio of 17 to 1 male to female in terms of overall C-suite. And so you have to have a conversation inclusive of everybody, and you want to really do it in a way that is not about shame or blame, but we have a an opportunity and how do we come together with the best ideas to create the most inclusive work environment, one setting, one team at a time. And so all heads together thinking about you know how do we how do we change our culture to be better, How do we collaborate more effectively? How do we ideate more effectively? How do we work as a team more effectively? And it takes everybody in the conversation. And our hope is that we can educate, make men aware of, Hey, here are some of the situations that you might not have known that impact women negatively and particularly women of color negatively. And we want to make you aware of them. And then we want you to help change them. And so for us, it's not just about talking. How can we get people to move from talking to taking action? So when your daughter, is ready to enter the workforce. She's not having these conversations. And in that light, the band of sisters are doing something different. That's, that's the goal.
0: Mitzi let's, I want to, in putting a wrapper on this conversation, I'm going to go to each one of you, but I'll start with you, Mitzi. So, you know, help me understand, help the audience understand beyond the book, Beyond sort of the accomplishments on the resume and these sorts of things. Tell me about the, the sense of community in the, in the, the band of sisters and what that has meant for you personally and more importantly at this stage in your life.
2: Well, I look at us as like a real sisterhood. Um, I've definitely gotten actually even a lot closer with the group since our time at Pepsi because it's almost, well, for, for some of them, they've been less, less time together at Pepsi than away from Pepsi, but, uh, just the, uh, a forum to brainstorm, have I- exchange ideas. Uh, we we golf together, we travel together, we share ideas together, and now we we spend a lot of time working about how can we make a difference together, how can we give back, how can we pay it forward, and it's just a fun group of women to be able to have those conversations with.
0: Dawn, how about you? And
1: Mitzi was very articulate. <laughs> I, you know, it's uh, it's really nice to have a group of people that are friends that you enjoy hanging out with, but who each have such diverse experiences in their personal and professional lives that you can challenge each other and you can challenge each other without any negative. We all understand each other. And and also, you know, we we're, we're all at points in our career where. We just want to be able to make a difference and give back. And, uh, you know, how many countless women or in men, but do I get asked to, to nurture, to help, to think about a career in sports, think about a career in packaged goods? And um, it's really, you have more impact when you're part of the band of sisters than when you're just one person trying to do this.
0: Katie, when you close down at night and you think to yourself, you know, I'm a part of this group. Like, just tell me about that, that feeling that you have. Both professionally and personally.
3: Well, you know what? I'll, I'll, it's been fun, and I think my entire career has been searching and finding. Luckily, in every company I've worked for, people that I enjoy working with, because we spend so much time there. You want it, and that it brings us back to the the idea of inclusion, right? Like, um, and and i think we're at a point where we want to work with people that we like working with and making an impact and learning something along the way i mean we've all learned something we we've never written a book before we've never tried to get out and do this so that's that's pretty cool cuz i don't like going back and doing the same thing over and over again and then i think it's also been really uh interesting to find a way to take all of our collective experiences and make them, um, make them work towards something because we've spent a lot of time in a lot of offices and a lot of companies and a lot of industries. So to have found a way to translate that into something that can, that can hopefully, um, move this conversation forward is, is been, um, uh, it's been, it's been rewarding and, and we are hoping that it, it makes a measurable impact.
0: Well, well said. Um, I want to make sure that people can find, uh, the Band of Sisters and also the book. So where should we direct them?
3: Um uh, our website is thebandofsisters.com and you can find more about our other three sisters who are not with us today and uh and also links to buy the book the book comes out on september 6th
0: so it's fast approaching well this has been such a treat i feel like it's uh like i got to sort of go behind the scenes and uh i want to make sure that the audience does as much to support what you guys are doing check out the band of sisters.com. uh i have found you the three of you so approachable and engaging and we need that as part of the conversation um, across generations and through generations. So continued success. I hope this is the first of many conversations. We want to thank Don Hudson, Mitzi Short, and Katie Lacey. You should go to com. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.